Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with James Harkin, Anna Tashinsky, and Andrew Hunter-Murray. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that indigenous Bolivian women traditionally wear huge, colourful skirts and bowler hats. Mm. <laughs> and I can't believe I'd never really seen this before. Yeah. It's striking. And they all do. So these are, they tend to be known as cholitas, which um, is basically a term for like the Aymara and the Quechua oh. and other rural Bolivian women. Not Charlie Chaplin. As it sort of sounds like, the Charlitas. It's a, I know you're trying to make the jump to the Charlie Chaplin bowler hat, and I appreciate that. Yeah, so like his fan club, you know, yeah. like um, all these like Lady Gagas are called Belibers. little monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've blown this wide open, and that is why they do it. So Charlitas, it, it used to be a pejorative term, I think, uh, and it was it comes from the Spanish cholo uh, for mixed race, but it's like very much reclaimed by them now. And if you look them up, they always wear these stunning um, kind of white, like silky waistcoats with a brooch and these huge dresses with like petticoats underneath so like really big elizabethan style dresses and then a bowler hat which doesn't fit but it does work it makes the look (laughs) awesome oh works in that way oh yeah works Works in like a you know it because bowler hats were originally invented to stop twigs from hurting your head weren't Mm. they so i wondered if it would probably stop a twig from hurting your is head. It a, is it fun- it's not functional. I'm talking fashion. Yeah, I'm saying yeah, it yeah. works. That works. Okay. Yeah. It does enough. work. Um, it does. Yes. And we're not quite sure why they do it. They started doing it at the turn of the 20th century. There's the legend that when British and Irish railway workers were in Bolivia, which they were, because the railway building company was a British company, there was a big shipment of bowler hats that was sent to, for them to wear, because uh, it was like workers' hats, and they were too small, so some clever marketing person flogged them to the indigenous women. I think there was a guy called Domingo Solingo, okay. who um, did a very good job of popularizing them and like mm. ran a good pr campaign try to get men to wear it first from one of the other stories versions mm-hmm. of the story and they right. were just not interested so they just as a last minute thing went but, women would you like then, then when he was walking along with a tray of samples one day he tripped over and one of the hats fell onto a woman's head <laughs> and completely by accident he discovered that's so yeah. interesting because they are i mean they are comically small Mm. They're not like, you know, just a little bit too small to go on your head, are they? I would, they're not like Yamulka, if you're no. picturing. It's like, yeah, just... They're clearly just, too small. They, sit, they, they sit on top. They, they sit, sit on, on top. top. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. who were they made for is my yes. question. Yes. <laughs> oh, this happened, we have this in the house all the time, where you order something and then a novelty small size version comes in the post. <laughs> that must be what? what it was. You know, like, we, we bought a crown for my son Will's birthday and it mm. arrived and it was the size that would fit a Kendall's head by accident because we just hadn't read the measurements. So we got a washing line. Need to read the measurements. They clearly didn't hear as well. Um, one thing I like about the Cholita thing is that the... I didn't realize, I mean, I didn't know anything about this style before or even this sort of cultural grouping before uh, researching this, but they weren't allowed to walk freely in the main square of La Paz, which is the capital of Bolivia, or in the wealthy suburbs in this outfit for many years. Mm. And then it's really been brought back on board to the extent that 
they're officially a part of the city's cultural heritage now. It's called mm. the Cholita of La Paz. Um, and also, there are Cholita fashion shows. There is a Cholita modeling agency. And I'm sure you guys came across the Fighting Cholitas. Oh, yeah. No, I did not. Reserve. I'd like to Didn't hear you? about the Fighting Cholitas. Just, well, it's just yeah. a wrestling group, but uh, they're female wrestlers who wrestle in traditional... With the hat. With, and the, with the hat. Do so they do, everything. like, odd job? The odd job kill. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they do, yeah. They die by the dozen every night. <laughs> anyway, the, the Fighting Cholitas. They're, that's they're... the one where they play golf, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the only Bond film I've seen, the one where they play golf. Did you Google Bond film golf? I just Googled you... golf and it came up. Right. <laughs> do you have... You know there's an app that can tell you when to go to the toilet at the cinema, like yeah. toilet break. Do you have an app that just tells you when golf scenes are in a movie yeah, and yeah. you just show up for that bit? I do. I only ever watch Caddyshack and that Bond film. <laughs> <laughs> they are a real happy story, which, you know, we're all on the lookout for these days. But the, I think it was basically since Eva Morales was in charge of Bolivia, right, who was their first indigenous president, all right. um, who came in the early 2000s and sort of completely rehabilitated their reputations because they had been kind of ostracized and had all these horrible uh, repressive rules um, made against them and now they're doing so well and it's a real great story and they're, they're quite well off they've got all these celebrations about their heritage um they have i think they have a few indigenous people in parliament they're like yeah. lawyers mm. and doctors and yeah it's quite nice because they have since like literally back in the day when the spanish colonized and they wanted to distinguish them the superior colonists from the indigenous mm. people so they said okay well what do people who are lower class do in spain they wear these big peasant dresses and so they made them all wear these big oh, peasant dresses from. so right, yeah they, they put them in these just say like you're beneath us and the cholitas just went all right we're going to own this yeah. it's interesting because like the big dresses come from the Spanish peasants and the bowler hats come from British, you know, upper class people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right, yeah, such I see. a fusion. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, have you guys ever drunk Coca-Cola? No. <laughs> yes. What, what kind of a question You might is be that? right. You might be right that you haven't. So this launched in April 2010 and Coca-Cola, spelled Cola, C-O-L-L-A. Coca-Cola. Yeah, oh. is a local Coca-Cola basically, that they've just manufactured on their own. So it has a red label with white writing. I mean, it, it's, the packaging is very similar, but it's, it's sold as a legit product there. They've yep. not been in trouble. And, and they're all right with this, or are we now getting them in trouble if someone? <laughs> no, works this is, it's, a, is it's, it's becoming a bigger yeah because yeah. it's named after the collar people exactly and the coca nut which is in it. Yeah, uh, and they say to um, Coca Cola or Britvic or whoever mm. owns Coca Cola, they say, "Well, you know, there's nothing you can do about it." Mm. And I'm not sure Coca Cola are particularly happy about it, but there's nothing they can They're do. They're definitely not happy about it, no, <laughs> but they could do fuck all. And um, they've got Coca Leaf extracts in it as well. So actually, it's an illegal drink to be sold over here. So they're quite regional because yeah, right. it's it's legal there. But for us, yeah, it's I a drug. I think we should legalize. Mm. I mean, we should probably legalize all drugs, but Coca Leaves, I definitely think we should legalize in this country. So we can get this collar drink? No, because like when I was in the um, Andes, mm -hmm. it's the best thing. It just gives you a little bit of a pickup. Yeah. Oh, it's so useful. <laughs> Honestly, when you've got a hangover or you're tired or anything, just yeah. chew a coca leaf and it just makes you feel so much better. Oh, it's just, you, it's just tried, a tiny little buzz. Have you tried cocaine, James? You'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the um, I think the Pope has tried the coca leaves. Has he? I think he visited several years yes. ago. And when he went, I think he said, um, oh, I'll have some of that. 
So yeah, well, they're everywhere. Like if you yeah. go to a hotel, you know, mm. if you go to a hotel in the UK, they might have a bowl of Murray mints. Oh, a lovely hotel would have that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, all the hotels in Peru and in Bolivia, they have a bowl of these leaves, and you it's just pick them up bowl, and chew on them. It's a bowl of the hat upside down, isn't it? <laughs> Full of those leaves. Are you sure it's not just potpourri? You've been munching away because it leaves your breath really, really nice at the end of it. Yeah. Um, guys, did you know? Not 25 minutes walk from where we're sitting right now yeah. is where the first bowler hats were sold. Wow. Is that true? Yeah. Invented and sold in St. James's Street. I mean, it might have been invented in someone's house, you know, but it was brought to St. James's Street okay. to Locke and Co. Hatters, who've been going since, like, basically the 17th century uh, when they were founded. And um, the shop is still there today, so you can still buy hats oh. from them. Yeah. I walk past there quite a lot. Do you? Yeah. Right, so that's where the bowler hat is from. That's very exciting. That is exciting, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You're going to turn up next week in a bowler hat? Because I can see it, of the four of us. <laughs> it's just yeah. a comically small one, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's a really... It's a nice shop. They don't, I don't think they make a huge deal out of it on the shop front. No, they don't. And they, their legacy is huge because they not only sell bowler hats, they sell all kinds of hats. They sold Admiral Lord Nelson his, um, what was it called? The bike, the bike horn. The bike horn, sorry. Yeah, the bike horn that he wore at the uh, Yeah, Napoleon, Napoleon was the tricorn. You don't yeah. want to confuse Nelson, them. Yeah. They get very offended. No, no one with a unicorn hat. Which is a shame. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have... <laughs> that would have made the Battle of Trafalgar really exciting. It's really got, cool. The element of surprise, I think, in the unicorn. <laughs> According to Locks, it was devised by a pair of people called Thomas and William Bowler. Okay, uh, and they, mm. Edward Cook said, "Can you make this um, hat for us?" To Locks, and Locks said, "Well, we'll get our mates Thomas and William Bowler to make it." Now, according to the OED, the bowler hat gets its name because it's shaped like a bowl. Mm. Not because it's named after these guys' bowlers. So I don't want to upset the people at Lock & Co. Because I'm sure their story is completely true. Yep. Um, but there is a suggestion that maybe there's nothing to do with these Thomas and William bowler people. And if you do look at the kind of newspaper archives, there was mm. a thing called a bowl hat. Uh, that existed before oh. the bowler hat and you can see loads of examples of people having their bowl hats stolen and stuff like that so did the bowlers exist for the brothers it feels like they, they were no, for... in fact they definitely existed okay. uh, thomas and william bowler existed and actually there was another guy called william bowler who um existed before them who was a famous hat maker mm. so there were bowlers who were making hats for sure um but whether these guys invented the bowler hat and gave the name to it Wow. I'm not so sure. Oh, yeah. It's tough. I'm really torn. I'm, I'm not going to walk past Locks uh, Locks shop in case of odd job hat. Comes yeah. to us. <laughs> no, no, but, you know, that's... Um, do you know what they have on bowler hats? The curl at the edge, which I actually never noticed was a fundamental feature of them. What, on the, the, on the brim? Yeah, so there's a brim and then it curls very sharply inwards at a 40 degree angle um, a little bit. Oh, and really? it's, a, it's a Dorsey curl. Okay. Um, oh. And it's named after Alfred Dorsey. Um, this is niche, but he was basically, I think he was the Byron of France. He was apparently mm. extremely attractive. He was the handsomest man of his time. And he was mates with Byron, in fact. And he, the other time you might have seen him, is he's the model for the New Yorker mascot. You know, if you... <laughs> <laughs> you know on the oh, New yeah, Yorker, yeah, yeah. you've got yeah, yeah. that bloke who's actually not wearing a bowler hat. That's a top hat. hat. In it. That's a top hat. He's, with a he monocle? wore a, di- a number of different hats. Um, <laughs> just, just literally. But that's him. His face is him, is that's what you're saying. His silhouette is him. Oh. Yeah. Is a monocle? He has got a, mo- a magnifying yeah. glass, I think, and maybe a I'm monocle. Thinking you're of thinking of Monopoly. Mr. Monopoly is yeah. exactly yeah. what I'm thinking of. Yeah. That was actually based on Keats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, according to um, 
glad we settled <laughs> that. No, Anna, that's a great um, that's, that's great knowledge fact, about yeah. this Dorsey guy. I think let's, yeah. let's connect the bowler hat to the New so Yorker. What, sorry, what was what was the link? He invented the the thing on the the rim. Uh, the, the, it was the, named after him. The curl. Because he curl, was such a dandy. Mm. I guess he was wow. a curly, curly dandy. Wow. That's really cool. Mm. Um, That's really well, cool. it's really cool as a strong term, but it's... Oh, it's probably the one thing I'll remember from this podcast. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be so annoyed about that. <laughs> um, the Susie Dent wrote an amazing book about how slang is used amongst different mm. tribes of people, so like taxi drivers and dock workers and stuff like that. Mm. And um, she mentions in that section that Hackney taxi cab the height of the cab was based on oh, yeah. the bowler hat height for when you're getting in. I, I, yep, <laughs> it sounds a bit dubious, but I, I think... don't know what you'd say. I didn't say anything. <laughs> All I did was pull a face, <laughs> and the listener didn't notice that. <laughs> no, but I, I think that is a rumor that's sort of right. out there, isn't it? That. Um, but how come? I thought it was for. I thought hackney cabs were for sort of for top hats because bowler hats don't really have any height. That They're would the same only as a head. add. That would only add another centimeter or two to the height of the cab. Absolutely, but maybe a necessary extra centimeter. It feels like you wouldn't redesign the whole cab. Well, you've You've got quite a long torso, Andy, don't you? Or do you have long legs, actually, and a short torso? I've got a normal torso. Oh, sorry. <laughs> long, I've got a normal torso, long legs, long neck, short head. Okay. That's, um, and that's why the Murray cab, it has a lot of leg room, doesn't it? A lot of leg room, and then a very low ceiling. Yeah. Sorry. Um, you know, before we were talking about bicorns, tricorns, and unicorns, yeah. um, there is a, what I suppose would be a quadricorn. No. Uh, and the quadricorn is a very... That's too much surprise, Andy. Sorry. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> the idea of a four-cornered hat does not worry that. I think that's incredible. Okay. Yeah. It's up oh, yeah, there with I'm Alfred Dorsey. That's the thing I'm going to remember, Anna. Okay. I suppose the reason it's interesting is because it is related to this fact, mm -hmm. uh, because it's the traditional hat of the uh, Tiwanakan people of Bolivia. And that is like a really old culture, pre-Columbian culture in Bolivia. Uh, and they had these very intricately designed four-cornered hats um, that sort of the rich people would wear the intricately designed ones and the poor people were really plain ones. Uh, but you would have like birds' heads you would stick on there. Some of them had wings yeah. attached to them. That's awesome. Um, but that sounds a bit grim. A, like yeah. a decapitated bird's head. Wow. Maybe They must have done some kind of, you know, put pickled it or something yeah. it was a different time I mean, it's popular back yeah. in the day to put dead birds and things wasn't it yeah, valentine's yeah, yeah. cards a and so bird. on yeah not a death okay gotcha not but just, just chopping the head. head off and sticking it on the bloodied seem... neck sort of hanging out i think they wipe that away the birds yeah. I, I think that's right you? is that where we get um like wearing a knotted handkerchief on your head at the beach from absolutely from not no tribe no okay <laughs> That would be quite unusual for this culture to come back to life, having you know gone out before the um, mm. the Spanish came along and then travelled to 1950s seaside holidays. <laughs> <laughs> would be unusual. Um, one of the greatest test pilots in America for wartime planes was a gorilla wearing a bowler hat, smoking a cigar. Okay. Okay. And what I've done there is tricked you. Because actually, <laughs> because actually it was a man 
What's your career? Oh no, no, I do not know. I don't allow you to say that. Uh, this is a guy called Jack Valentine Willems, and he was one of the greatest test pilot um, pilots that were out there. And he used to take out planes that weren't ready; that they were it was advanced technology. <laughs> what? Why would you do that? Well, you know, you got to test. He's a test pilot. He's testing. Well, no, but yeah. it, so it is. It is ready, it's right? Ready he's not test. taking a oh, plane ready, with one wing. No, no, but you're, no, no, but you're sorry. As in, we don't know the limits to which we can push this yeah. particular plane. So he would push it yeah. to places to see if it worked. You just yeah. made it sound like he was sneaking into the hangar at night. <laughs> sorry, no, these are they were approved flights. Um, and um, what he used to do is a bit of a practical joker. Is he used to bring with him a gorilla mask, and he used to bring a polar hat and a cigar, oh, and he would fly okay. up to other processions of planes that were flying, and he would have that gear on, and he would wave at the other pilots. And I think from what I've read, the idea was is that no one would believe anything about the plane, let alone the pilot, if they came and said, I saw a new plane and it was being flown by a gorilla with a cigar oh, and a bowler hat. Yeah, that yeah. sounds a bit pushed mm. for me. I think I think actually he was just a practical joker. But mm. the idea was he was going to say no one would believe that pilot existed, therefore they might not believe the plane existed that was oh, being gosh. tested either. It was interesting that you tried his practical joke on us, didn't you? Because yes. he was trying to make people think a gorilla was flying the plane and you mm. also kind of made us no you didn't believe really it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was less dangerous in this context because we're just sitting around a table whereas I think making a prank out of putting off pilots flying actual planes is very irresponsible yes well there quite a lot of comical you know a pilot gets so distracted they fly into a mountain oh yeah yeah. yeah. 400 deaths <laughs> were resulted. A comical flying into the mountain. Another death in the army today, and man, was it funny. We close our show with this light hearted story. I think I was picturing the cartoon version. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that there are no animals in the only zoo in Kalamazoo. <laughs> what, a, what a sad lot of children there must be in Kalamazoo. Yeah, what a bad zoo. Oh, what? It sounds great. Does it? Uh, oh, what, what yeah. What is there? It's the Air Zoo. It's the Air Zoo, and the Air Zoo is a museum about aeroplanes, which has lots of planes <laughs> yeah. that are named after animals. Okay, because it does sound like the Air Zoo is what they've called it, because all the cages are just full of air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like an air guitar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It does sound like that, but yeah. actually, it's a really awesome um, air museum. That's so uh, planes that are named after animals. So I'm thinking immediately. I'm thinking the Sopwith Camel. Probably, Great. You know? I don't know if there is one of those. Okay. All I know is that there's a warhawk, a goonie bird, a wildcat, a bear cat, and a hellcat. Oh, these, yeah. are, these are very American animal it's, plane it's names. It's very American. Yeah. 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 Kalamazoo is um, in, in a, the north of uh, United States of America. Yeah. Uh, Michigan. Just, in Michigan, yeah. yeah. The hellcat. Yeah, that's a very. The, the Sopwith <laughs> camel is a very British animal plane name. Cause yeah. it's, <laughs> which, yeah. it's ridiculous. <laughs> well, goonie bird sounds quite British as well. The, no, I still think that's a bit of an American. Like, oh, you gotta, see, think, you gotta think, see the Goonie Bird. Hey, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Goon Show. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so yeah, and actually on the Warhawk. Sorry, you just mentioned that. Um, hmm. The person who runs this museum, who's called Sue Parrish, uh, she was one of the last twenty members of the Women's Air Force Service Pilots from World War Two, who still um, flew planes, and she flew a bright pink Warhawk. That's nice. great. Uh, Is she still alive? She was still alive when I read an article uh, a few years. It was from a few years ago. I, I couldn't tell whether she died I think she's not. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it was the article actually I read was from the early nineties, so um, oh, yeah, okay. she might have died yeah, since yeah. then. Uh, yeah. She has. She, she's so very old. There's a um, there's an airport which is Battle Creek and yeah. Kalamazoo Airport. There's a statue of her. Oh, I, I believe it's at the airport. If it's not the airport, it's somewhere oh, in the vicinity. And you can also see her plane, which is as you said, pink kind yeah. of. Cool Do you know it was pink? Plane. This airplane. Oh 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 yes, because she only flew it. Uh, when it was Red Sky at Night, Shepherd's Delight in the evenings, <laughs> and it was a camouflage thing. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Not far off. Oh, in okay. fairness. Just wrong, but not a million miles wrong. Is it? No, you're right. It. Dan, please, yeah. I've got it. Uh, she flew only among flocks of flamingos. Yeah. And it was, oh. a, it was a camouflage thing. We're getting wronger. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was because she's a woman, and women oh. like pink things. No, it wasn't. <laughs> that, it wasn't. <laughs> Damn it. It was because it was uh, originally flown in Libya, these planes, uh, and the landscape, lots of, you know, rocks and sand and quite oh. pink sand and wow. stuff like that. And so it just help to blend into the landscape okay so it's not hot pink no then. it's not hot pink it's, it's not yeah, it's pink. it is okay. quite pink it's pretty it's, pink yeah okay yeah it looks awesome and i think that's in the entrance when you go into the arab museum as opposed yeah. to the airport um yeah yeah and um after world war ii she wanted to become a commercial pilot uh, but she got rejection letters saying with your qualifications if you were a man we would have hired you mm. oh well that's a nice consolation <laughs> though isn't it it's awful that, isn't <laughs> it? Sort of the highest praise you can give really yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. absolutely um, but yeah basically i remembered that there was a place called Kalamazoo and I googled mm. to see if there was a zoo there and there isn't but there is this place I didn't know anything about Kalamazoo before starting to research it apart from of course the Glenn Miller song I've got a girl in Kalamazoo yeah, yeah. 1942 put it on the map internationally in but a it's, way, it's named as one of those places which has a funny name and no one really knows where it is or if it's real and it's kind of you know it's, it's yeah. lumped in with places like Timbuktu which I have an interesting... I wonder why. It's like, <laughs> exactly. If you're writing songs. Exactly. But Kalamazoo, get this. Yeah. I'm only getting in with this fact before you guys all do, because okay. I know you'll all have it too. Yeah. Was the first place in the world to install dropped curbs. <laughs> Is that a curb where you can get like a buggy down, you mean? Like it yeah. goes flat? It's, it's, it's as it sounds. The wow. curb has been dropped so that you can, uh, yeah, so you can get a buggy down That's or a wheelchair. That's quite amazing, isn't it? I know. Do they and have a blue plaque there? They must. Well, do. there are lots of claims as to what, you know, there are other, other cities which try oh, and steal, steal Kalamazoo's thunder. Right. They're all, I think, incorrect. I think this was the first city where you had to drop <laughs> How curb. deep have you had to dig for this? <laughs> <laughs> this is a full day's work. <laughs> there, was the, there was this veteran uh, from the Second World War called Jack Fisher, who was an advocate for both veterans and disability rights, and I think... He trialed them. They, in America, they're called cur- curb cuts, and um, and they were first tried out here. That's incredible. Oh, that's cool. What year? What year are we talking? I think it was the late forties or early fifties, and there are other other places which tried them in the early sixties. Yeah, um, there was another thing in the sixties, and I think in America there were some disability activists who hacked away at curbs yeah. at night and laid concrete to, oh, to really? smooth their path. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They only did it on a few occasions in a few places. But When uh, you say he tested it, it's, it, what's interesting about it is it feels it doesn't need testing. It feels just logical, right? <laughs> it just doesn't... What did yeah. they think might go wrong? Well, I guess it's, it's never been done before and he's mm. just pointing out, look, this would make it a lot easier for lots of people to get around yeah. if, you, uh, if you install these things. So they say, oh, all right, well, we'll install a few. Okay. And then obviously you just see how it I mean, affects. things that can go wrong is it allows dickheads like me to pop your bike up on the pavement while uh, you're cycling yeah. and really upset pedestrians. He didn't think of that, did he? No. no. 
didn't think about the idiot. Same with my car. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kalamazoo originally was called Bronson, and it was because a guy called Titus Bronson was the first white man, basically, to arrive there uh, and set up a town there and then uh yeah he he turned it into a place where the streets were kind of named very obviously for the thing that they were operating as so uh there was church street where you'd have three churches on there yeah um there was the academy which had the college on it there was jail street uh well, jail yeah. street it makes sense doesn't it yeah it like, makes total you sense you know where everything is yeah. i think the church one is weird because i know that so there's a thing in capitalism right where if you've got a shop that sells a certain thing like baby clothes then you have lots of shops in the same area yeah. they cluster because like that the works curry mile in manchester with exactly all the curry houses but churches you rarely are like well we've got to fit 10 churches into this county should we just put them all on the same street yeah, yeah. absolutely it's true interesting uh, the story goes that bronson was in detroit and he walked west Uh, into the woods and he kept going until he got out of the woods Uh, and this was where Kalamazoo was Um, he walked it's 140 miles walk till he got to any kind of clearing there's this we're not quite sure why but he definitely left town at one stage now he might have left town because they changed the name to Kalamazoo or he might have left town because he stole a cherry tree yeah and he was run out of town there's a few different stories and it's not clear what's what because if you look at contemporary reports neither of them is mentioned Mm. um but there is a 1909 headline from the detroit free press that says because of the name of the village he founded was changed to Kalamazoo, Titus Bronson died of a broken heart. Mm. And so when they changed the name, apparently it hurt him so much that he died. They have gone by a lot of different names. They used to be called the Celery City. What, they, uh, they grew a lot of celery? They grew a lot of celery. Someone came over and grew celery there. Actually, it was a Scot, I think, called George. <laughs> apparently, George Celery Taylor, he was known as. But you, never, you know how you never know if people were actually called that? at the time like the bowlers from earlier like the bowl no that definitely was the no, name but they could, name. yeah but that could have been like the trade that then became the name no but they didn't name themselves after the hats they were I'm saying we don't know I'm saying we do ah, okay <laughs> well there we go um, one of the reasons that Kalamazoo is mentioned in a lot of songs so you mentioned who do you mention Glenn before? Miller Glenn Miller yeah. so Kalamazoo in other songs by Frank Zappa Ben Folds Johnny Cash The Black Keys who I yeah. know you like Andy mm. there's Kalamazoo mentioned in there and I think one of the reasons is because Gibson guitars were made in Kalamazoo yeah uh, oh. and loads of famous people Chuck Berry Eric Clapton Sheryl Crow Bob Dylan all people use Gibson the guitars and mm. And really interesting thing about the Gibsons is the Gibson Girls. Now, during World War II, the Gibson Guitar Company was still making guitars. Um, but the thing was, they didn't have anyone to make the guitars, right? Because all the men had gone to war. So what they did was they brought in all the local women to make these guitars, but they denied making them. Oh. Uh, and the reason being that they thought that one, if we told people we're making guitars during the war, people would think we're being really frivolous and we shouldn't be doing this kind of thing. But secondly, they weren't sure whether people would buy guitars if they knew they were made by women. Right. <laughs> and so they sold them as what they called new old stock. So they pretended oh. that these were old guitars that they had in stock and they were selling during the war. We're not making them during the war, but actually right. all these women were doing all the work. 
Uh, and they also sometimes said that they were made by seasoned craftsmen who were too old for war. Yeah, right. Really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, not brilliant, obviously. Sorry. <laughs> it's good. Mar- you can appreciate the marketing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. did the um, did the women who were making them leave any kind of clues as oh, to the fact that they like, inside done. did they I drop write? a tampon into the body of the tampon just rattling around in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the key to their individual sound, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a couple more things on Kalamazoo. Uh, notable person from there, um, William Shakespeare Ju- uh-huh. Jr. Um, <laughs> and what I did there was trick you uh, yeah, yeah. to make you think. It was actually a gorilla. It's actually a gorilla. <laughs> um, he's uh, William Shakespeare Jr. He was an inventor, quite a notable inventor there. Um, so he was, he was around in the 1800s. And he invented what's known as the Shakespeare fishing tackle, which is a really big thing that's still used uh, today. You, do you know it? No, I'm just trying to think of a pun. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, fishing tackle, lots of innovations of that sort. Um, he had patents for camera equipment and so, so that on. Cast, casting, no. Oh, yeah. I was, I was thinking of, uh, you yeah. can say whatever you want now for yeah. the next five minutes. Yeah, well, I'm trying to debate. It's not working. Um, 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 um. Okay, no, I've joined now. Anna, you take over. Um, <laughs> anyway, oh, let's go. Ca- <laughs> astonishing, you run through his plays, there are almost no fish puns. It's bad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Amid some uh, nice bream. Very good. Nice, there you go. Nice. There we go. Oh, God. We move on. Is that is that no? No. Uh, okay, we're still doing it. <laughs> uh, Go on, Andy. Mackerel Beth. No. No, that's yeah, nice. That's, that's great. Yeah, that's good. That's okay. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll I like take that. it. Um, yeah. As you pike it. Oh, oh very yeah. nice. Lovely. Bloody hell, have you guys all got one? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, if you have one at home, then why not send it to <laughs> Andrew Hunter? <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Andy. My fact is that some American gravestones feature recipes. Mm. Yummy. Yummy. Of how to cook the human below it? Yes. Uh, This is a thing that happens sometimes in the States. Um, The original wording of the fact was lots of American gravestones contain (laughs) recipes, and it was pointed out that there are about 11 so far. (laughs) There was a query over whether that's technically lots or not, uh, which is fair. Um, But there are people who uh, who've made it their hobby to track down all gravestones which feature recipes and and bake them up and uh, it's especially big uh, on places like TikTok there are lots of uh, grave people on TikTok and they they're nicknamed tapophiles which is people who love graves and cemeteries and is that what uh, is on TikTok because I haven't been on TikTok I didn't realize it was that I thought it was like dancing and stuff it's not all of TikTok yeah there's there's a lot again when I say lots of people on TikTok do it some people on TikTok do it. Um, it's, it's more effort than filming a, a dance. Um, but well, it's like really t- interesting. But I like TikTok files. It's a nice yeah. alliteration, isn't it? Yeah. Worth becoming one. Yeah. And um, these grave recipes, are the, they, some of them date back you know, decades or, or further than that. And I just thought like TikTok, it's like, um, what do you call that thing that reminds you of death? The pendulum. The it's Reaper, like a, oh, the, a Memento Mori, yeah. isn't it? So whenever you think about TikTok, TikTok, is it think, is it very morbid place? TikTok, I think is it so. one big Memento Mori? <laughs> it's just thinking about yeah. the number of seconds you have left. Yeah, the, the number of seconds you spent watching this crap. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. So Sorry, uh, yeah, so people are doing it on 
making up the recipes and then showing them on their TikTok videos, right? Yeah, people, some... people are going around doing that. And Any then, examples? Or no? Well, there there's a lovely fudge recipe. Oh. There is blueberry pie. There's yeast cake. Um, but it doesn't doesn't always work. Sometimes there was one uh, gravestone which had a, a typo in the recipe on it. Oh, no. I God. know. And it would have made very runny fudge. If you oh. made it according to that, but thankfully, what was the typo? That I want to know what it, typos that makes runny fudge. It was too much vanilla. Oh, oh really? But it, yeah, so it said it said uh, tablespoon as opposed to teaspoon. I believe was that's the, not going to make it that runny, is it? Just that's not much difference. I like it's tried not like it. a kilogram versus a gram because no. you don't put much vanilla in a fudge recipe, do you? It's just a tiny amount. Well, that's why. Because if you, if, you, if you do a tablespoon, apparently it turns out vapor. Uh, anyway, they corrected the entire gravestone oh, off the back of that, which yeah. is uh, really? okay. a relief. Why would you, yeah, I'm trying to work out why you would do it? Do what? Put a recipe on? Yeah. Well, people like to be creative on their gravestones, right? It's a really fun thing. And passing down your 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 great recipe, I think. I is think a... that's what it is. I think it's uh, something that matters to you, something that's traditional, something yeah. a, a recipe you might have inherited from the generation above yeah. you. Yeah. I really see, I see People it. like to pass on recipes to the next generation, don't they? And yeah. work, work I guess there's place. very little you can pass on. You could pass on like a series of dance moves. I'm trying to think of something else you oh, might pass yeah. on to the next generation. But you're right, recipes are probably it. Dance moves on your grave. <laughs> encouraging people to dance yeah. on your you grave. Can, you can have a set of those um, footprint outlines. Like they have in Japan. Yes. Oh, yeah. I was thinking like, you know those games that you play in Japan where you can oh, dance? The, 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 oh, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Games. yeah. What, yeah. they light up? Okay. Well, I was just thinking, I'd like mine to be kind of like that mole whacker game. So <laughs> you put a coin into the grave and then my head pops out from one of the... Like, you got to slam it with a hammer then my arm comes out another and then my leg yeah. and yeah. you'll be so annoyed if you're one of those people who wasn't actually dead and tries to escape from your grave <laughs> constantly malleted down guys no seriously oh. but I think it's great I mean there are so many gravestones around the world where people as their sort of like last wish have said can you make this happen and people yeah. do and they're beautiful and I read a great one there was a 99 year old woman who in Mexico her dying wish was for her gravestone to be made according to what she loved most in life um, and so she got it it was a 600 pound five foot tall penis uh, but just a giant <laughs> that's what she loved in life a five foot penis <laughs> she loved calling people dicks in life apparently and that's yeah. what she asked for and I've seen the video of them unveiling it it looks like it's got a giant condom over the top of it which is then removed it's a huge pink penis like five foot five but unfortunately if you're in Libya you couldn't see it <laughs> <laughs> the, the testicles apparently they really had a lot of problem with um, mm. because um, the ball sack apparently kept just disfiguring during the, the melting process of the actual materials which was I believe plastic and so they had to like build the testicles quite right. a few times and they're big balls when you see it um, so it's sort of standing wow. up right anyway the is, this, is this in a, is it in a, uh, a churchyard or, yeah. or a cemetery yeah it's in a cemetery with, but surrounded by other I can yeah. imagine being slightly annoyed if I had the grave next door totally yes. yes. well, by that time it's, you can't be annoyed no, um, yeah, it's true. Okay, <laughs> I know you're an easily annoyed person Andy <laughs> but I reckon yeah. that after death you're not going to be under there going I, <laughs> he will. If I can, I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's what it's going to say on his tombstone. Just, <laughs> I actually, God, I'm so with you though. If I was a relative of I someone agree, who'd been yeah. buried next to that, I would find that if you had, so if you had a irritating. But this is what this is what happens a lot in 
in the UK, certainly, so many graves are the the traditional, whether it's it's slate or you know, it's it's yeah. normally it's grey stone and it's carved and it's it's all down to the individual church or individual local authority. And so there's this mad, you know, you if you want something out of the ordinary, you might get it approved, but you really might not. Well, like shape-wise, like a big penis. Well, sh- shape-wise and colour-wise, and, and there are rules about what you can and can't carve, but it's, there's no one authority in the UK which, which tells you what you like can and can't It feels like we should have that, and it does feel reasonable to say no penises. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, maybe yeah. call I me old-fashioned. I agree, I yeah. agree. Yeah. 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 Well, on that and gravestones, um, there's an amazing cemetery in Paris, the Père Lachaise Cemetery, and it's got loads of good graves in it. But one of them's the grave of Victor Noir, who was a 19th century journalist. And um, he wasn't that famous in his lifetime. I think he was shot by Napoleon Bonaparte's nephew in 1870. Okay. Wow. And loads of people suddenly went to his funeral because it became this kind of political cause. But for some reason, we don't know why, his effigy, so on his gravestone, is a big bronze effigy of him lying down. Mm. It has a bulge in his crotch. Oh, yes. yes. Like a, he's t- quite tight trousers, lovely big penis bulge. And what's so rank about it is that it's a bit like, um, you know, there's Greyfriars Bobby in Edinburgh, the famous dog statue, and everyone always rubs its nose for luck, so that's really shiny. And in the same way, everyone keeps rubbing and mounting and writhing against um, this crotch, so it's incredibly shiny. And not only that, it's not just the crotch, but his lips and nose. Well, they kiss his lips. Yeah, they kiss his lips. I know. What do they do to his nose? (laughs) (laughs) But what, I mean, that's, because that's not just rubbing. They've mounted full. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. a fertility thing. It's you go and you do that if people you want to get pregnant. People say that, but it's not. It's people going for a joke. Everyone's like they do it. For, this yeah. is 20th it's, century. This is people yeah, going yeah. to France and going. It's for um, Instagram, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a sign that says any damage caused by graffiti or indecent rubbing will be prosecuted. Oh, that's, that's, uh, it's all indecent rubbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's decent rubbing? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's actually. A, that's it's a better question, yeah. But I always think with these, they would be the best place for like a zombie apocalypse to start where there's loads of famous people. Oh, like, yeah, that yeah. would be a great yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like Westminster Abbey, that's where you want your zombie yeah. apocalypse to start, isn't it? Where all the famous people are buried. Yeah. I think Jim Morrison is in the one you were just talking great. about as yeah. well, Perfect. I believe. That's really good. Because that's a good mix. Westminster Abbey is all a bit like royals and nobles, isn't it? Yeah. But if you went to this one, you get rock stars, you get authors, yeah. you yeah. get weirdos. More like the doors to hell have opened. Yes. Yes. Great. yes more cool. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the... <laughs> You've redeemed yourself. <laughs> Fishgate has oh, forgotten. <laughs> uh, speaking, as we were earlier, of people doing inappropriate things in graveyards. Yeah. Uh, do you guys know about the Bustuari? No. Uh, they were sex workers in Rome in the first century AD and they plied their trade in cemeteries. Oh, naughty. Yeah, so in the daytime, they were professional mourners. Okay, but in the nighttime, they were sex workers and they would write on the gravestones what the prices and stuff like that. (laughs) They used them like phone boxes. A little bit, yeah. And people would go and, you know, they had very pale skin and severe expressions and they were kind of quite gothic looking in in and of themselves. Uh, There was one called Noctina um, who would sleep on the graves and cover her eyes with coins. Uh, and then they were also prostitutes. That feels so, like she's encouraging some worrying kinks. There. I'm yeah. afraid that there was some of that. If you read Marshall, Juvenile, and Catalyst, all talk about it, and apparently there was some of this. Bloody hell! Yeah, so it was also the fact that they're professional mourners in the daytime. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's sort of, and then at, at nighttime, basically the morning garb comes off. 
Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, saucy. And then in the morning, the morning guard goes back on. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, they had this weird thing in Roman tombs, which were called uh, libation tubes. Have you heard of this? No. Mm. This is so cool. These are terracotta tubes that go down into the grave from yeah. ground level, and they're deliberately so you can give the dead a drink. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go and turn wine into them. Yeah, it was just a pipeline right down to the mouth of the dead. Was that different to the sausage one, the sausage pipe? (laughs) I don't remember the sausage pipe. We did talk about that. (laughs) That rings such a vague bell. Was there a sausage pipe? John Bonderson wrote about it in Buried Alive. Yeah, there was a, a, um, I think the idea was if you were buried alive, um, you had a string that you pulled and it would ring a bell and they would come and get you and say, we're coming to get you out, but here, have a sausage until then. And they would... (laughs) Pop a sausage down the sausage pipe so you had some sustenance while cooked, they were... A cooked sausage. Oh, it doesn't say, I assume a cooked oh, sausage. Must be you don't want to give them food poisoning while they're down there. Tragically, he died of botulism <laughs> while we were getting the spade. A fast-acting lethal sausage. Um, yeah. You know um, uh, PETA, the uh, animal rights yes. mm-hmm. organisation? Yeah. They did a thing a few years ago. They bought a tombstone in a cemetery for one of their colleagues. It was called Matt Prescott. Um, but it was they bought a tombstone in a very specific place. They bought it right near Colonel Sanders. Oh, yeah. right. tombstone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it had a it had a message on it. It was a little poem that they'd written for their colleague Matt, uh, and it was an acrostic. And oh, the first yeah. letter of every line spelt out the phrase KFC tortures birds. Wow, yeah, <laughs> I know. My favourite gravestone is an acrostic. It's, oh, it's awesome. It's uh, it's for a guy called John Rene R E N i.e. René or René um, and what it says on it is it says here lies John René but then it says it basically 45,760 times in total because it's an acrostic that goes 19 squares across and 15 squares down Uh and everywhere you start reading it you can make here lies John René along this uh, yeah, box yeah. of a, and, oh, cool. and the, the total that you can add it up to is yeah 40 so it's like 000. the second line it reads here lies John René <laughs> like that doesn't kind it? of thing and then yeah. the next one is slightly different the next one's oh, slightly different great. so you can read it down diagonally exactly like the world's oh, most boring word search so yes. cool. <laughs> Which is cool. Such a, it's an amazing <laughs> yeah. thing to look at. Oh, well, yeah. the, um, the the guy who uh, first formulated pi to thirty five places was oh, a yeah. German mathematician called Ludolf von Sörlen, Soylen, uh, and his gravestone reads three point one four one five nine two six five three five eight nine seven nine amazing. three two yeah. three. Eight, and what is that? <laughs> if it isn't a recipe for pi. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that doctors used to prepare their patients for surgery by either getting them really drunk or smacking them on the head with a mallet and hoping they didn't kill them. <laughs> that's, uh, that's back in the day. So when, the day. when are we talking? Which day are we talking? This is in the um, 1800s. This was in oh, wow. the top floor of America's oldest surgical uh, amphitheater, as it's known. This is in the Pennsylvania Hospital. And I guess what's so surprising is how late in the day this was happening. This is in the sort of mid 1800s. Because mid 1800s was when we had we. I take a lot of credit. But we had got like some ether chloroform yeah, and stuff yeah. was starting to happen. And, 
and a lot and a lot of them weren't fully accepted though so this th- it definitely was around at this time yeah, but this hospital yeah. was like nah, not into it we we'd rather thing. hit you on the head it happened yeah. in Britain as well there was a guy called Henry Hill Hickman who um, used to try suffocation to get his patients yeah. Um, yeah, so this was this was a thing, um, yeah. and you know it, the drunkenness hopefully would see them through an operation, as would such a massive hit on the head. Some of these operations it. were very quick, weren't they? They were am- amputations and stuff. And yeah, they would mm-hmm. try and do them in the matter of seconds. Yeah. Really. In fact, that seems to be the most effective method of painkilling up until you know they found ether and stuff uh, was just speed. And there was we, we talked the about drug QR. <laughs> <laughs> You'd love it. Just getting people incredibly anxious <laughs> yeah. before the operation. Um, no, was yet yeah, doing it within a short amount of time. And we've mentioned Robert Liston on QI, but his he was a famous 19th century surgeon, and his catchphrase was "Time me, gentlemen, time me." Oh. And there's a huge <laughs> amount of showmanship to his surgical performances. It's a good catchphrase that. It's a good it? catchphrase, yeah. and it would kind of reassure you if you're having your leg cut off. You want it to be quick. And he used to brag he could amputate a leg in 25 seconds. Wow. Um, and his chances of dying, because he gets a lot of stick these days for being all about the show and less about the safety. Uh-huh. But you only had a one in six chance of dying, Is which was all? quite good for surgeons then. Mm. And there was one great, the best story about him, which I'm pretty sure we looked at when we did the QI and is probably not true, but um, it was reported that he once... Uh, was so focused on doing something incredibly fast that he's amputating a limb and he accidentally at the same time cut through his associate nurse's finger on the way and so both the person whose limb was amputated and the person whose finger he amputated died pretty quickly afterwards (laughs) and also someone who was watching died of shock and it's always recorded (laughs) as the only operation with a 300% mortality rate Wow, great story It's a strong story Don't check it ever That's a comical ending like an airplane going into a mountain that's comical surgery that's comedy you're right that's yeah Um, just on the sort of reputation of surgery back in the day yeah this is a fact actually got sent in to us uh, from Sarah on Twitter so thank you Sarah it was about the operating theatre in Aberdeen Okay. Mm. And there used to be, above the door to the operating theatre in Aberdeen, the words, prepare to meet thy God. <laughs> which is oh, what? God. Just such an <laughs> uncheerful thing to read. Wow. And it was all about this surgeon called Alexander Ogston who worked there, and he discovered Staphylococcus, which is oh. a very big... Uh, Common bacteria for getting, like... Infections, prob- infections and, and abscesses yeah. and pus and all of that, and really dangerous Staphylococcus. And he was so inspired by antiseptic zeal that he returned and he pulled pulled the sign down and burned it on one occasion. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Because it, it was a very, very religious uh, place to have your operation. I can yeah. imagine. So the one that I was talking about in Pennsylvania, the surgery itself had a sky roof, basically. So there was a dome at the top and mm. it was glass. Ooh, nice. So they would do all the operations in the day and natural light was what was giving That's them good. their light. Lovely. Yeah. But um, at night, the surgeons will take off their <laughs> robes and uh, <laughs> yeah. they'll show you a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they would write their prices on the patient's spleen. <laughs> and they did have anaesthetics before then, uh, various mm-hmm. types uh, throughout the world. A Chinese physician called Hua Tuo, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, apologies if I am, but um, from 140 AD to 208 AD. Um, this this guy, he would use something called Mafeisan, which is cannabis boil pounder. 
So he gave it to the to the patient. And apparently it was so good, there was a guy called General Kuan Yu, and he was wounded by a poison arrow, and he was sort of given some surgery to try and bring the arrow out and clean the wound. And um, the general played chess while his bone was being scraped clean. Wow. Because uh, his concoction was so good. Wow. But did, did he win the game? <laughs> <laughs> he just kept whacking the pieces off because he was in so much pain. No. Yeah, we still don't know how they work. Yeah, crazy, eh? I find it's, I, there's so much of medicine we don't know how or why it works. It's just we kept trying and this one stuck. Um, I mean, it's people speculate that this is general anaesthetic, so what puts you to sleep. Mm. Uh, speculated that it dissolves uh, some of the fat in your brain cells, so it stops the cells' activity. Um, there's just been a study that found out that one particular anaesthetic maybe weakens the transmission of signal, electrical signals between your neurons in like the, the higher functioning parts of your brain so that's why it will knock you unconscious but it won't stop you breathing because mm. the lower functioning parts can still keep going um but yeah it's so weird that we don't we just accept it works yeah. um yeah. but i like before another anesthetic from, i don't know how my microwave works but someone does yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's true sorry when i say we i don't just mean we couldn't be asked to research it i mean even the scientists can't be asked to find out yeah. properly mm. Um, but an another ancient way of anaesthetizing people was electric rays, which the, uh, the like fish, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so these were used in ancient Rome. It was like t torpedo fish. I think we've talked about before would could give you a real electric shock, and it was treatment for gout, or it was if you wanted to numb an area and you needed to do something to it. Wow. It was recommended that you stand on the shore and you let your legs be washed by the sea what? as various electric rays wrapped themselves around it and I wait for them to electrify you. If you were just stood in the sea, mm. you would need to you need to bring them to you, right? You wouldn't. They wouldn't just naturally. Yeah, how sting are you attracting you. them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe you drop some food for them. No, wait. Are you the food? You are, well, kind of. You can yeah. maybe cut your legs so there's a bit of blood in the water. Yeah, yeah nice. Then awful if the shark comes before the eels. Yeah. And then this whole thing amputates. Ah, it's, yeah. it's not convenient though. So yeah. they quickly they would shock you. You would go numb. They would carry you out, and then. And then they can do a treatment on you, like cut off like a bunion. Like cut off your legs. Or, or, yeah. bunion, all that for a bunion, my God. Yeah. Jesus. Um, you know how in the very first episode of this podcast, we talked about, anyone remember? We talked, yeah, I took President, President Garfield. Garfield. President Garfield's anus. So I have a related fact to this. Yeah. I think you should quickly explain that for anyone who can't remember 460 <laughs> yeah. episodes ago. So this is the fact that for the last, was it month of his life? Three months, I believe. Three months. President Garfield ate everything uh, through his anus, mm -hmm. and that's because he'd been shot and uh, he wasn't able to eat through the mouth, and so he was fed through the bum. So the American president usually hands over power when... <laughs> yes, he does. But in Donald Trump's case... <laughs> You're so right, Donald Trump is the outlier here. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, okay. No, this this, James, that's exactly right. So, okay, normally when the US president, always a man so far, has a colonoscopy, which oh, yeah. is a procedure, oh, yeah. and if you're oh, yes. a bit older, they yeah, put yeah. a camera up your bum, and mm -hmm. they just check what's going on. Normally yeah, yeah. normally yeah. a small camera on a little um, wire, not like a big long lens paparazzi camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, they, and it's, it's, it's a very common thing, you know, so Joe Biden did it in 2021, yeah, yeah. handed over to Kamala Harris for the, you know, like half an hour, a couple of hours of the anaesthetic. Uh -huh. uh, George Bush had it, it twice, and both times handed over briefly to Dick Cheney. There was a report... A year or so ago, that Donald Trump underwent this procedure, 
but he refused to have the anaesthetic because uh, he didn't want to hand over to Mike Pence, uh, however briefly, wow. the reins of office. So he just sort of um, barebacked it. Wow. Which, um, God, I know. one chance they thought they had to silence <laughs> Donald Trump for a couple of blissful hours. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. really interesting. I've got that's another thing one. about um, putting stuff up the bum. Oh, yeah. If mm-hmm. you want to hear it. Um, so this is about the first woman physician to specialize in anesthesia who's called Isabella Herb. Uh, and she was the first person to use ethylene as a general anesthetic. Uh, and there were two main ways that she'd get you out of the anesthesia state. Uh, one of them was to give you strychnine. Uh, which would apparently help, presumably not that much. And the other one was the installation of warm saline solutions to the rectum. Installation. (laughs) So if you were under because of this ethylene, then she would squirt some salty water up your bum and it would get you out of the... Sounds kind of pleasant. Although, is that not the thing that makes you wet yourself? No, that's that's thing thing. I think that's putting your hand in a bowl of water, not... I'd better if you put your bomb in it, though. It something happens. Um, the interesting thing about ethylene and a problem that she had was that it does explode quite easily. <laughs> uh, and so what she did was she had her operating theatre uh, and they had very, very high humidity because apparently that helps you because there's slightly less oxygen in the air, so less likely to explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also because um, it was an early time of having electric lights and stuff like that, they grounded everything in the building. So the table where the person was being operated on, and in fact, everyone kind of had things attached to them. Do you remember we talked about this? Um, big spike that people had on their heads. Yeah, everyone had electrical conductors yeah, yeah. to conduct the charge. So yeah. basically, everyone was wearing these wires to, and they attached to the pipes around the room, the water pipes, so that if there was any kind of spark in there, instead of setting off the ethylene, it would go into these grounded things wow. and then go down into the building. Isn't that amazing? That's really oh, good. Cool. God, that's so as well. What a great name! Imagine, fill, you know, when you fill in the forms before you do an operation, yeah. where you say, "I understand that I might blah blah and blah blah." Imagine just that well, I understand there's a 30% chance I'll explode just on pe- doctors sort of beating beating patients around us this mallet people did oh, yeah. in the facts um, August Beer was the first person who came up with the first spinal anesthesia that was in the 1890s 1898 and so that was injecting cocaine into your spinal cord was the first spinal anesthesia. And he wanted to work out how much you really needed to inject because if you injected too much, had bad side effects. And so he thought, okay, well, I'm gonna test it out on myself. And so he asked his assistant, also called August, to inject him. <laughs> the fun they must have had. The two August, having a very non-August time. And so his assistant injected his spine. Sadly, his spinal fluid started leaking out quite drastically, oh. and so they had to stop. So he said, do you mind if we swap? So the August swapped, and his assistant said, OK, well, you try it on me. Um, so August, the assistant, lies there, and August Beer jabs him with the cocaine and then tests how high his pain threshold is. And the account is just incredible. So he starts by tickling his feet. Quite pleasant. Couldn't feel anything. Um, and then he jabbed a large blunt needle into his thigh. And then he got a larger, blunter needle and put it in down his femur, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, he then... He, and he's awake through this process because right. it's local anaesthetic, so he's chatting away and having a great time. Yeah. Um, he got sharp forceps and crushed his skin up. Oh, God. He burned a cigar out on him. He, he yanked all his pubic hair off. <laughs> and then just... In one <laughs> that go? Was just for, that was just for fun, wasn't yeah. it? That 
<laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, he'd, he'd ask for a wax, and you might as well two birds, one stone. <laughs> he actually yanked his pubic hair off and then did the chest hair for comparison, right. just to say, see, it would hurt if you know yeah. if you weren't anaesthetized. Oh, wow. wow! Hit his shin with a hammer, squeezed his testicles very hard. And um, oh <laughs> said, so, look, how impressive is that? I think he compressed his testicles between two plates, didn't he? And then just kept squeezing, squeezing, squeezing. I remember Did reading he? about this, yeah. Gosh. Well, they had a big feast afterwards, so maybe they ate <laughs> off the testicle plates. <laughs> oh, my God. And what, uh, so afterwards, was, was it just broken? <laughs> how, did you, how did that go for you? Oh, it's absolutely <laughs> <laughs> He was a bit bruised as it wore off, yeah. but oh. um, he was. The, they had they wined and dined and cigared together. And cigar, I will oh, let cigars yeah. anywhere near me after that. <laughs> right. um, some people wake up in the middle of uh, yeah. a general anaesthetic. Yeah, and it's it sounds awful. Well, no, 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 the good thing is you almost always forget afterwards. So I, I spoke to someone who carries out anaesthesia quite regularly and says sometimes patients get chatty during procedures. And you could just tell them to shut up and be really rude to them because they won't remember after the operation. (laughs) One patient had been going on and on about their their job, I think, at NatWest and how interesting it was. And they just had to say, look, shut up, please. That's so funny because when I last had general anesthesia, I thought I'll just have a chat because I'm not met an anesthesia expert before. And I just started chatting to him and then went under. And now I'm realising that as soon as I went under, he's like, you boring bastard. <laughs> you woke up with uh, no pubes, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But they, so normally you don't remember it, but sometimes you you do remember it oh. and you can't move because the drugs yeah. are paralyzing I mean, it you. Sounds that sounds like the worst thing in the world because you can you wake up, you, you can you know what's going on and you can't do anything about it. And, and yes. all you can hear is the anesthetist going, Oh, I shagged your mum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fidella woke up after she had surgery where she went under general anesthetic and she woke up and was quite tired and she, she they didn't realise that she was awake. This is post surgery. Mm. They were moving her away. And all she heard was a conversation about how much the doctors enjoyed no such thing as a fish. <laughs> what a, the worst possible yeah. She was like, oh, Christ. <laughs> I'll put you back under. <laughs> okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. You can email podcast.qi.com. Yep, you can go to our group account, which is at No Such Thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. Check out all the previous episodes from No Such Thing as a Fish. They're all up there. You can also find your way into Club Fish. There's lots of bonus content up there. Check it out. It's really awesome. And uh, otherwise, just come back here to our free podcast that comes out every week. We'll be back again next week with another one. We'll see you then. Goodbye. <laughs>